But here, on the very rim of known space, justice is a long way away. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Space Game Junkie podcast and the audio works this time. I am your co-host, Brian, and joining me as always is your co-host, Spaz. Hello. Your co-host, Julie. Hey there. And your co-host, Thorsten. Hello. Sadly, uh, our co-host, Jacob, couldn't make it today. He's buried under university work, so uh, that's probably one of the best excuses you can give to miss a podcast is, oh, no, I've got schoolwork. Uh, Can't be mad at him for that. Good luck with your schoolwork, Jacob, if you listen to this. Uh, But, friends, we have a guest uh, joining us back for, I believe, the third time. We were just talking about this on the show. The developer of the Master of uh, Orion-inspired game Remnants of the Precursors, Ray Fowler. Welcome back, Ray. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's it's a pleasure. Once once we 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 love to have developers back on once their game hits 1.0 because I love to hear about the journey between like when we first heard about the game and how long like how long it was in development and then when it finally when the developer finally realized it's time to do 1.0. Um so Folks, if you're unaware of what uh, Remnants of the Precursors... Well, well, Ray, do you have an elevator pitch for your game? Um, Sure. Um, <laughs> Remnants of the Precursors is a modernization of the 1993-1994 strategy game of the year, uh, Master of Orion, the original one. And basically, it's just been updated with um, uh, improved UI, better graphics exploits fixed and you know it's to make it more accessible to modern gamers so and it's free so the whole idea is just to introduce master Ryan to a generation of gamers that probably had never played it before was was that where the original idea came from to introduce the original master of orion because there have been so many uh, and I, i know i'm speaking of the choir here master of orion 2 clones so so many that it could be easy to forget that there was a first game. You know what I mean? So so is that part yeah, of your intent? Yeah, it's really peculiar, right? Because um, um, Master of Orion 1, when it came out, there wasn't even a Civ 2 yet. There was Civ 1 and Master of Orion 1. And there was a period of time where Master of Orion was considered the superior 4X game over the Civ series. And then Master of Orion 2 came out. Um, I remember like a 96 or something. Yeah, 96, it was a completely different game. I mean, it was still a space for X game, but it played completely different. It felt a lot more like Civ, um, but it just caught on. It got super, super popular. Um, and I think a lot of this too was because Massive Orion was such an established brand at that point. And I think the reason that we see so many Mu2 clones is because um, I think a lot of people who played Mu2 never played Mu1 because it was, you know, if you played Civ 2, why would you go back and play Civ 1? You assume it's just the same game. Yeah. So when Massive Orion 3 came out and crashed and burned and killed the franchise, hmm. there was a period of about, I don't know, like 10 or 15 years where the the most recent and most modern Master of Orion you could play was Mu2. So it just had a, developed a huge following kind of by default. And my theory has always been that if, if Mu3 had been a success, nobody would even remember Mu2. 
You might right, be right. Subsumed. Yeah, you might be right. And it's funny, Master of Ryan 2 was the first one I played. I I didn't get I don't know why, but I wasn't into I wasn't into strategy games until like 1996 when freaking everything came out in 96. Like that came out, Here's a Might and Magic 2 came out. Uh, I think Warlords 2 Deluxe came out. I bought all those in the same year because suddenly I had an interest in strategy games out of nowhere. And uh, yeah, I never even thought like when you, when you start with a two, you never think to go back to the one. You're absolutely right. Um, And, but the thing is not a lot of franchises have such a difference between one and two. You know what I mean? That that's another thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the differences, you're right. The differences between one and then two and then two and then three are night and day almost, really. They're they're just so different. Right. They're like three different Space Forex games all sharing the same title. That's that's exactly right. I've 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 still not played three, even though people tell me mods make it a, a legitimate game, I've still I've still not played three. And uh I'd- so what happened was, is anytime like when Move Two came out, and then later on Move Three, we were all excited. Or any Space Force games, I kept waiting for the Move One formula, the one that I thought was really so good to get recreated. Like, but everyone because Move Two was so popular, everyone kept making Move Two. Move Two was like the World of Warcraft of the Space Force genre. Once it came out, everybody had to make a game like it. And uh, so at some point. I turned 50 and I'm like, um, this game's never going to get made unless I make it. So I just decided to figure out how to make it. it, it it's funny. Thorsten said in, in the, um, in the chat, he wasn't, if before he had played remnants of the precursor, he wasn't sure that Moo one would be better than Moo two. A lot of people would just say Moo two is the better game. And I think after I learned about your game, I went back and played Moo one. Uh, for the first time, I I had never played it, and uh, I think I I like the elegance of the formula better than the here have everything on your plate at once Moo two, <laughs> and and I think it makes for a better game. But well, obviously, obviously, I think it's a better game where I wouldn't have yeah made of course RTP. of course. But uh, um, the thing is with Moo one is you know at that time like in the early nineties to the late nineties. Uh, PC capabilities, memory, and graphics, they were just evolving so, so rapidly during fast. the decade. And so nobody wanted to go back and play Civ 1 or Moo 1 pixel version. You know, why would you just play the newer version? It looks nicer. I mean, That's so I true. totally understand that. That's true. Yeah, like, I, I'm just going to go on a side note here. I don't think there's any bit, been a decade like the 90s for gaming. Like, you look at you look at games from 1990 versus games from 1999, and so much happened in that decade. There, there's never been a decade since that has has had such growth and innovation. I think. You know, and I think the '90s for the strategy game genre. Oh I my think god, that really is the golden era. And it so is not for other games, but for strategy games because I suspect that like the hardware and. Um, uh, video and memory limitations of that era forced strategy game developers to really strip down the game and focus on the strategy. Whereas now, you know, they just, it's, you know, they, they can use graphics to sell games. 
Whereas you couldn't do that in the 90s. So if you had a strategy game, it had to be a good strategy game. You, yeah. you play tested it and all that stuff. I mean, look at the other strategy games we had in the 90s. Uh, the, Ma- the, the Warcraft series, all those great real-time strategy games. Master of Magic. Holy crap, Master of Magic. Um, you know, the Master of Orions, the Heroes of Might and Magics, the Warlords's. Just so many good strategy game series. Uh, and not even looking at war games. So many good war games as well. What's the one that Thraxus remade recently? I forgot what that one's called. Oh, oh, uh, XCOM? Yeah, XCOM. And I had a friend in the 90s who just swore up and down about XCOM and just played it constantly. He loved that game. There's, they still hold up. I mean, people make uh, open source remakes of those. And, and, and they still, they still hold up a lot of those 90 strategy games hold up because it's not, not about the graphics. Like look at all the people still playing master of magic and stuff today. Cause you know, it's been, it's been improved and whatnot. Anyway, it's, it's, it's just in, in a way it's a shame that Moo one got so eclipsed by its very different sequel. I mean, I think Moo two is, not a worse game, but it's a very different game. It's a harder game to play. I think for I think like Moo One would be a much better entry for a lot of strategy gamers. Honestly, yeah, I think Moo Two is still a great game. I'm not. Oh, yeah. I'm not trying to shade at Moo Two. It's just different than Moo One, and I, I just happen to prefer you know Moo One over Moo Two. But I can totally see that Moo Two is a a great game. Yeah, agreed. And and uh, I think your game, especially especially since it models Moo One so well, would be a great first strategy game for a lot of people. I think, I think one, I think um, one way that your game could be a great first strategy game for a lot of people is one, the manual you have, thanks to the help of noted game reviewer and all around great person, Tom chick. uh, You have an excellent manual friends. It's, it's kind of, it's almost worth downloading this game just for the manual. I'm not even kidding. It's such a well-written manual. It is an amazing manual. You know what? You know what the manual for this game made me want to do. It made me want to break out the good old Master of Orion strategy guide. That that tome of a thing. Have you read that? The Master of Orion strategy guide. Yeah, that's pretty much the bible for developing this game. Oh yeah, I believe it. Because friends, if you haven't read the um, the the Master of Orion strategy guide, you can probably get it on eBay. It's not only a great strategy guide for the game, it is an amazing guide about game design that is just, and you think that you might think, oh, you know, oh, I'm asleep. No, it is a really engaging book about game design. Was this one of the Primer uh, books, Brian? I think so. I, yeah, I think so. Uh, no, Emmerich? Emmerich? Alan Emmerich. Yeah, yes. Emmerich. Emmerich wrote the book. He was also one of the uh, the key testers for the original game, and I think he was a designer for Moo too. Yeah. But that what I like to say about that book, that strategy guide book, that is the book that launched a thousand failed Space 4X indie projects. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> because everyone would read that book and with the detail and the tables and this is how this works and this is how this works mm. and this is how this works and you go oh I can do that and then people try to write games and then you find realize oh this is going to take seven years and then, they, and then you know it doesn't work but what I was saying is friends if, if, if you want to introduce someone to strategy games 
this is a great this is this is probably the first one I'd recommend honestly because one the manual is great it's well written did you did you work like hand in hand with Tom or did you just like let him do most of his own thing or how how did the how did writing the manual work well so um basically this project uh, um in a lot of ways has been like an exercise in humility because um <laughs> when I started it I'm like oh I'm going to just use simple graphics I'm going to do this and then um when I enlisted Peter, Peter Penev to do the artwork. I saw his artwork and I'm like, wow, okay. I got to get a lot of artwork in this game. This is so good. So I'm like, I let, at first I worked closely with Peter on the artwork, but then after a while, Peter understood the game and I pretty much just let his, his creative artistic juices flow. And then when I wanted to do writing, I contacted a friend of mine who was a tech writer where I used to work and I knew he was a good sci-fi writer. And I said, hey, do you want to write for the game? Because my writing, I'm a programmer. My writing is going to be pretty dry and boring. And he gave me some sample stuff, and I realized, oh, there's levels to this. And he's about five levels above me. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, you're going to write all the stuff. I have to have a lot of writing. And then, like, one day, um, my wife, who's an illustrator, was looking at the game, and she's like, you have the coolest project because you're writing this game, you've got this writer doing stuff, and you got this artist doing stuff. But she says, you know, your game looks terrible. It looks ugly. <laughs> I want to redesign this one screen. And I told her, I said, if you redesign this one screen, you're going to have to do the whole game because I'm not going to have one good looking screen. <laughs> so, so she got paint shop out and I made her draw everything in paint shop. I said, I want you to draw it in paint shop the way you think it should look, but with an homage to their original 90s game. And then I'll try to figure out how to make that work visually in Java. So then by the time we got around to the manual, I'm working around the Tom Chick here, sorry. I was like, you know, I really need, I want a manual for this game. And uh, so, like, who should write a manual? And I was like, uh, Tom Chick, obviously. Tom Chick is awesome. I think Alan Emmerich, I don't know how to get a hold of him. I would have tried Alan Emmerich, too. But, uh, um, you know, Tom Chick runs a website. He's a well-known reviewer. And I just, like, on a lark, I just emailed him and said, Hey, Tom Chick, you don't know me. I'm creating this game. It's a Moo One, you know, remake. And I knew he liked the Master of Rain. I was pretty sure of that. And then he's like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I'm so glad I emailed him. And I just pretty much stayed out of his hair. You know, he he set up a Google Doc with some stuff, and I would review it and edit stuff. But I'm not going to tell Tom Chick how to write, and I'm not going to tell Peter how to draw, and I'm not going to tell Caitlin how to design screens. You know, that's I'm not good at that. So why would I want to mess that up? That's great delegation. That's really great delegation. Like, know your strengths, know your weaknesses. And, and get well, that's what I said. That this project, in a way, has been like an exercise in humility because every time I try to do something, I'm like, oh, this looks terrible or this is bad. I actually need to find somebody who can do this. So it's this project has, has been a litany of, of me learning everything I'm not good at. <laughs> um. But what I was getting back to is I would like, what I was going to say is I think your game is now like the perfect introductory strategy game. Honestly, like for years, if someone wanted to get into strategy games, I might recommend the, uh, that war gamer made master of Orion that came out a few years ago because it had really good tutorials. Yeah. yeah. It had really good tutorials. Like I like to call that baby's first four X. But now I think your game is an even better entry point because one, the design is more elegant than Moo 2. Um, but two, I love how you can just, 
And not a lot of games let you do this. Turn off any other AI and just play alone in the universe. You know, you could totally turn off all the AI and just play by yourself. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and but, you know, don't, don't sell this game short. I mean, because... No, um, I'm not. I'm not. I mean, and what I mean is, is Moot 1 was like game of the year when it came out. And, I mean, it's a good game. And there are people who, like, I know one guy, he says, I discovered your game like nine months ago when I haven't played any other game since then. It, it can be, it's really addictive. It's it's a turn-based strategy game in the classic sense. It's really addictive. No, I'm it's not- a great design. And, uh, um, no, 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 I understand that. But, but you're right. It is more streamlined. So it's easier. You don't have like a lot of weird nuances you have to figure out. You get right to the wargaming and strategy part. And it's, it's, like I said, it, it'll suck you in pretty it's, easily. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's it's got it, it's based on such an elegant design, but it's got such user friendliness that that's what I'm saying. Because you've worked so hard, not only with the manual, but the tooltips, the intro, um, the intro tooltips that that pop up once you play a game for the first time, and everything. That that's what I'm saying. Like I, I think your game could now be like the premier introductory strategy game for people. That's what I'm saying. Like if someone's like, I want to get into Forex, how do I do it? Play this game. That's what I'm saying because it's based on a design that I think has an easier entry point than Master of Orion Two. Plus, you have that well, excellent manual. You know. Yeah, as you know, Master of Orion is now the intellectual property of Wargaming. So yeah. uh, when, they, when they launched uh, uh, Master of Orion Conquer the Stars in 2015, like four or five months after I started the project, <laughs> of course, you know, Murphy's Law, I contacted them and said, hey, listen, I'm working on this project to modernize the original game. I'm planning on giving it away free. But I don't want to get sued. I mean, I don't want I don't want to do anything that's going. you feel like is going to infringe on your property. So please let me know if I... If, I, if you're okay with me pursuing this project and what I need to do to not get sued, because at some point I'm going to have to spend a lot of money, and I don't want to spend a lot of money and then have to take it down. You know, and that's why we changed the name and so forth. But I've had like an off-and-on relationship uh, with a contact at Wargaming for the last, you know, f- several years. In fact, he's even done some of the AI work in the game. And he... They like the game. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't know if he speaks for all of Wargaming, but he's—they're he, very impressed with it, and he has come right out and said, and he has said this is basically now the definitive version of the original Master Grind. That—that's what the Wargaming guy said. So I, that's I like super high praise. That's amazing. That's that's great. I mean, I, I totally agree. There's another Moo clone out there, um, Proxima something. Dominus Galaxia. That's it. Yeah. I think that project might be dead. I'm not sure. It's 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 stalled. Uh the guy said he still wants to work. I just looked this up recently because someone was asking me about it. And it's it's stalled, but they still want to finish it. So it's not quite dead. It's just not I hope not. I hope it's not dead, but the last thing I saw was they were talking about ref- potentially refunding the Kickstarter, which to me sounds dead. dead. Oh, that does sound dead. Oh, but maybe not. Maybe not. I, I mean, know. I don't know. But um, but yeah, no, I think I think uh, like I could totally recommend this to any new strategy gamer, but also any classic strategy gamer because you really nailed what made the first game and space game four X's in general so freaking great. But also. And this is the great beauty about the original design. You took out a, it doesn't have a lot of the crap. Like I don't have to micromanage every colony. 
You know, I don't, this colony doesn't need a governor. You know, this colony, it's like so many, so many strategy games anymore. Are like, let's put everything in there and that'll make it good. Right? No. <laughs> well, there's like, um, there's conflicting opinions about how you should do that. Right. Um, in massive Orion one and even more so in a room with super cursors, the way it deals with, uh, as colony management grows, you know, as your impact grows, there's more things to manage. The UI is designed to allow you to do mass management. You know, like I want to move 15 fleets all with one click, or I want to manage, I want to change the spending on all my colonies with one click. There's ways to manage multiple colonies. And Move 1 kind of started on that, and then Move 2 went away from that. And so I think management issues in Move 2 are a big problem. Mm-hmm. And then they solved that in Move 3 with a different approach, was just to have AI governors do everything for you. And that was an approach I wanted to stay as far away from as possible. I, there's no um, automation in the game. Everything you do that happens in, in Remnant's Precursors is because you gave an order to do it. And there's room in strategy gaming for both. Like, there's room for your game where you don't automate anything, but everything's so elegant and at a high enough level that you don't need to. And then you have the opposite where like distant worlds where you can automate everything, but they, they, uh, they uh, model a lot more, you know, so you can dive right into this, all this minutia if you want to. Um, so I think there's room for both, but your game, I think, I think is just, I just love the elegance of the design, which I know is, is move one inspired, but I, I just love how elegant the design is. And you've done such a great job. I got to say, you were bringing up the UI. The UI is so good in this game. I just, I love it so much. How you can like multiple manage things so easily. I have to give you props for that because I'm a UI nut. And I'm, 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 I'm just a user interface fanatic. And I love your UI. I absolutely love it. Right. For example, someone was saying like, I'm playing a game where you know i want to shift all of my colonies i have like a big empire with like a hundred colonies and i want to shift them all to build build a, a certain new design and it takes forever to do that and immediately there were two said well there's two ways you can do that you can go here and do this do this or you can go here do this and do this and both of those options take like five seconds <laughs> i mean it's very easy to to mass manage in the game and that's one reason why i, I made the game to be able to support really large galaxy, like, you know, 10,000, 50,000 stars, if you want, not because I think that's a playable map, but I wanted to make sure that, that I could design the UI so that you could manage empires that large. If you had to. It works well at scale. Yeah. It works really well at scale. It really does. Spaz is absolutely right. Works so well because you got those, you got the big buttons down at the bottom where you can go in and you can manage a bunch of things at once. And it's just so elegant. I keep using that word, but elegance is not that's, something. You, yeah, that's how it works though. It, it is yeah. elegant, but, but it's, there's also a, a counterpoint to how it could be done poorly. And, and I'll give an example in this, in a similar vein game, uh, which I still love despite all of its flaws Star Trek birth of the Federation. Oh yeah. Now when you have a whole bunch of colonies, you have a, a, a next button to go between them. But if you're managing the queues, you have to 
manage each individual build queue because you don't really have AI governors to decide what to build. So you have to manage them sometimes multiple times for, for multiple colonies every single turn. Because you may want one colony doing one thing. You want one colony doing another. And some maps have 40, 50 different planets to manage. Yeah. And if I recall, that game doesn't have a overall colonies screen where you can just go in and tweak. Yeah. You have to go to next, 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 next. Kind of remind me of a war game in that part that where where you're hitting next unit, next unit, next unit. Next, it kind of reminded me of a war game like that. I mean, but, there there are things I love about that game. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the tactical combat is for its time is something that I've never seen another game do. Especially for a four X. Especially right. for a four X. So can I like go on a, a mini rant about AI governors? Real you, quick? Know, you know go what? For go for it, man. We 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 got no structure here. Go ahead. So then, and this is this is kind of uh, comes out of the philosophy of not having any automation for the game. So let's say you have a colony, and, and now this doesn't apply to ROTP, but it does apply to like a lot of Civ games and Mutu games. You have a colony, and you have like a build queue, and you have things you have to build. You know, if there's like an optimal order that you need to build things in then the game should just do that. A governor shouldn't be required. The game should just do that because it's not a decision. It's the optimal way to do it. If there's not an optimal way to do it, let's say like on this colony, I want to build this thing here first, but on this colony, I want to do it another way because of, you know, who knows, maybe it's close to an enemy empire and I want to build defenses first or something. I don't know. But if there's not like a single optimal way to do that, then what you're going to have is you're going to have an AI governor that's not going to know exactly how you want to do it. So then you're going to either have to be overriding the governor, turning it off to get it the way you want, or you're going to be complaining that the governor is dumb, right? So somebody say, the, the, my point is, is if the AI is going to automate stuff, it needs to know how you want to automate it, how you want to play. And that's not so easy to do. And if, if, if there's an optimal way to do it, then what's the point of having a governor? You should, the game should just automatically do that for you. No, I, I agree. I agree. And and your game does a really good job of anticipating uh, the the need, the upcoming needs. Like, oh, right now we need to build industry. Oh, right now we need to build ships. You know, it does a pretty good job on its own of anticipating, but you can also change it very easily if you need right. to. That, right. Because what happens is, is in Mu1 and ROTP, let's say you finish building all your factories and it's done and it's going to let you know your factories are done. And so this is okay. It's going to make its best guess at what makes the most sense to change spending. Cause you're going to want to change spending cause you don't need to build factories anymore, for example. But every time it does that, it prompts up and says, Hey, I finished building factories and it lets you see, and it, t- it prompts you to change it to however you want. So it's not just doing it behind the scenes. You know, it's like an advisor saying, Hey, is this, does this look good? And you may say, hey, that's perfectly fine. Move on. Yeah, and 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 it just it really it really works well when like oh yeah we can't build any more factories we're going to put all the money here right now and you're like you know what all right put all the money in research that makes sense sure uh, that's what I would do uh, I don't need to build ships right now um, but the the slider system is such I'm going to use the word again I know I keep using it elegant uh, such an elegant design 
that I wish more games would copy. Like, I think besides this one, isn't sort but like besides Master of Orion, isn't like Sword of the Stars the only other real 4X that uses kind of a slider system? I think if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, I don't know. I've never played it. Oh, the first yeah, Sword of the Stars. But the, most of them don't. Yeah, the first Sword of the Stars is amazing. It's it, there really is very there really are very few space 4Xs like that. I mean, not only does it have a, a great slider system, like the races are asymmetrical in how they move around the map. Like you have one race that uses jump gates, you have one race that uses warp wormholes, and and it all and it handles all these different uh traversal methods just fine for for multiple races on the same map. And it's oh god, Sword of the Stars is so good. If if you have time to play a game, I would recommend <laughs> try seeking that one out. It's so good. But I wanted to ask you because uh, I probably I think I asked you this last time, but I wanted to ask about uh, Java because your game is based on Java. Uh, can you remind me uh, where that choice came from? Um, a couple. Well, originally when I started this project back in two thousand three, and I, I was an attempt to learn Java professionally. And mm. I figured if I picked the side project that I wanted to do, which was write a game, then I would stick with it and learn Java. And that, that did work. I professionally started using Java and became a Java developer, but the game was ugly. And so I restarted the game in 2015 and I started from the original code base. I just had to gut it and restart it all over. But at that time, Java was like, um, and it might still be the number one programming language in the world. It might be JavaScript now, which is a different thing. Mm. And I wanted the game to be open sourced. So I figured if I stuck with Java, then you know, the largest number possible of people that could look at the code and play with it would, you know, it'd be available to them. Is Java multi-platform? I don't know much about Java, so... Well, Java was originally, it was one of the original multi-platform games. I mean, the whole concept of write once, like, write once and run anywhere was Java's motto. You know, so um, every operating system has what's called a Java virtual machine. And um, the game runs within a Java virtual machine. So, like, there's a JVM for Mac, there's a JVM for Windows, there's a JVM for Linux. And as long as your operating system can support a JVM, it'll run a Java, any Java program. So, could this run on Android or iOS? Unfortunately, no, because iOS is written by Apple and they don't want to support Java. And uh, Android is supported by Google and they kind of altered Java because they wanted to avoid paying any royalties to Oracle. So they're running like this hybrid version of Java. So it's totally on Google. Uh, it'll run on a Windows um, tablet, but unfortunately Google, you know, did their best efforts to kind of screw over Java. So that's kind of a shame. I could totally see this being a great uh, Android phone game. If it, you know, I don't know, man, it seems like there's a lot of stuff to do on it. It would be hard to, fit on a phone. <laughs> I, phone screens are pretty big now. I think you could totally do it. <laughs> I mean, if you have something the size of, say, a Galaxy Note, that would be different. But uh, if it's one of the more, say, compact smartphones, I don't think it would work. Maybe. You know, one of the interesting things about Java is because so few games are written in Java that a lot of people criticized my choice of Java early on. Like, you can't write a game in Java. It's going to be slow. 
you know, the graphics are going to be terrible or whatever. So for the graphics, I figured, well, this is a turn-based strategy game. I don't have to worry too much about graphics. They're 2D graphics. But uh, the whole slow thing is, uh, like, professionally, as a Java programmer, I was like a performance guy. I, I made things run fast. So I just, like, took that as a challenge. Okay, I'll make it run faster than your game that's not written in Java. How about that? But uh, um, there is a common theme. Anytime someone, a lot of times, uh, I, I should say there's like a, a, a bias against Java in the sense that like anytime there's a problem with the game or something goes wrong, someone always says, oh, is it because of Java? You know, is it because you're using Java? And I'm like, no, it's it's, it's never Java. <laughs> it's never Java. It's a, it's a bug in my game that I wrote that I could have written in any other language or you know it's never java like for example the graphics they're not high performance graphics it's not because of java it's because i'm not using the video card now i could have used a video card i could have written the game to use people's video cards but i intentionally wrote it to not require a video card so i'm all the graphics run on the base cpu so you know it's it's going to be a little slower than if you actually use someone's video card but at the same time i don't have to worry about like video card drivers and compatibilities and things like that. But it doesn't use a video card at all. Oh. Nope. Just runs on your main CPU. I didn't even know that was a thing. (laughs) Were there any big hurdles you had to overcome by using Java or was it, was it a pretty smooth process? Um, I don't know. There's like a few things actually. Okay. There is one problem. Um, audio. So the only audio format that's natively supported in Java are WAV files. Um, now, there's other, there's an open audio format called OGG, and I used the library to try to run it, but the library didn't work well. I spent more of my time trying to debug this person's audio library. Oh. So then I switched to MP3, and I started, I started having some weird issues with MP3, so I finally said, screw it. Java supports WAV files by default. I just made everything a big, massive WAV file. <laughs> so that's probably the biggest problem I've had was audio. God, audio. And wa- and WAV files are pretty big, too. That's that's another problem. With that. Oh, yeah. I, I, I never hear the end of it. Like, someone will download this, you know, it's a one gigabyte uh, game, which is actually pretty small by today's standards. It's so and they'll small. look at it and you go, oh, it's like 40% wave files. Well, you're stupid. That's inefficient. And I'm like, you don't understand. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> that wave files were the last choice. I Because w- my main primary goal was I wanted to be stable and work. And I think ultimately the end user doesn't care what format the sound files are. No, as long as it works. And, and your game game definitely works. I mean, I didn't have any problems with the sound, and it was pretty speedy. I like I didn't notice any lag or anything. Uh, so you definitely have built something something speedy. Will you? Do you think you'll continue to code games in Java, or like if you're going to do a next game, will you move on to something else? Uh, no, I'm probably going to. Uh, I think release ROTP two, which is um, like the new version of the game. That's I'm just going to start with the existing code base and just gut it and go from there there's no reason to rewrite everything it's not like i need to move to like a new video graphics platform or anything but uh, um some people think i should but uh, you know rotp worked it's a it's actually a really good game it's 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 a much better game than i thought i was capable of making 
So uh, why screw with success? No, agreed. Um, that's, a, that's an interesting question. Someone in the chat said, can you make a no audio version for even for an even smaller file size? That's an interesting question. So like, a- um, what you could do, um, Java is, uh, Java, the jar file is like a zip file. You can actually open up that jar file with an extractor and remove all of the wave files if you really wanted to. And there may be a text file you would need to edit or something, but no big deal. But, uh, um, and then turn off the sound and you're fine. I think you could just strip them all out. Huh. That's pretty cool. It'll run. If you t- just take out the files and maybe change a text file, it'll run without the audio. I mean, it's such a small game. It's only a gig. <laughs> who's got who's- yeah, And most of that is probably like the audio files. I think I, I think I put like a thing on my subreddit a while back where I, I broke down what exactly is a gig, what, you know, what composes that one gigabyte. And it was amazing how much of it was just audio files. <laughs> Now, what, what what would you say was, what would you okay? How do I phrase this question right? What thing did you want to improve upon most from the original Master of Orion that you brought to Remnants of the Precursors? Um. Well, I pro- obviously, I think I had to fix the UI. The UI was just really dated and hard to use. I mean, if, if I didn't do that, then ROTP would have just flopped face first into the ground and died. I mean, it was just because it, it's just too hard to play the original game because of that. Right. And, and I, I have to say the, the AI is definitely also something excellent in this game. Like I played I've, I've played it both with the with the AI set to its most basic level. But then I played one very short game. With the AI set to its highest level, I did not. Yeah. I did not last long. <laughs> That's another part of the game I outsourced. Like, um, as I was developing the game, I was working on the AI, and um, that's the base AI. And the base AI is actually pretty good compared to most uh, real forex games. It's. I mean, it still plays competitively, but um, you know, there's like a really hardcore contingent of Mu One players that play RTP now. And of course, they know the game inside and out, so they just destroy the base AI. So they'll tell you the base AI is just—it's just terrible and whatever. But new players will still get owned by it pretty good. So uh, um, there's a guy who wrote the AI for Pandora. Oh, oh my God! Oh, oh, wow! Oh shit! So yeah, so he goes by the Reddit user ID Zilmi, and so his his AI is called the Zilmi AI. And now he, you know, we he kind of worked he. Actually made it really cut through early on, but he kind of he kind of pared it back a little bit to make it to where you know like a lot of the um, the AI would still play like you know according to their personality. He he, I think he realized he could play the AIs according to their personality and still have a very competitive AI. And so the AI in ROTP is really good. I mean. I, I don't even bother playing as AI. I don't want to get destroyed. And it doesn't, none of the AI is cheat, by the way. There's no cheating. There's no, it, it doesn't know. It has to explore the map just like you. It has to build ships just like you. It has to, you know, prioritize and declare war and whatever. Exactly like the player. So when you get beat by the AI, you're being beaten on a level playing field. 
No, I was going to bring up Pandora because that is one of the honestly best AIs I've ever seen in a uh, 4X game. It's it's so it's devious. It's it's great. It's amazing. It kills me every time. And to, the to know that the same guy worked on your that explains so much. <laughs> Well, um, you know, um, I, I keep interrupting you and I apologize. No, 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 you it's know, fine. One of the things I said early on in this project, I felt like um, Mu One was like this diamond in the rough. It's this great game that's kind of been forgotten about. And I and I consider it, you know, like you keep calling it elegant. I consider the Mu One game probably the closest thing to a work of art in the space work genre. I mean, it's just, it's so tight and well done or whatever. So I wanted to make sure that anytime I did something to the game in ROTP that I really, I wanted to make it good. I didn't want to sell sell the game short. I didn't want to people to say, oh, everything is great except this one thing is really, you really should have done this. So I worked really hard on each component to try to make sure that it was done well. Well, and you clearly have. I mean, this is obviously a labor of love, obviously. But like, there really isn't, um, there really isn't anything lacking here. It is a absolutely complete package. You have everything. And one thing, another thing I want to talk to you about that this game does really well is, um, is espionage. So many games, um, I'm going to go on a tangent here. So many games either don't do espionage well, barely do it at all, or, there are only a few games I think they get it really right. And your game is one of the few, I think, that gets it really right. Um, because I think espionage is very important uh, to a game like this. You got to have some good spies, you know? And, and Spycraft takes such a big part of your game that I think it's wonderful. I think you've done a great job with uh, espionage in this game. And and so many games forget about that. So many games forget about good espionage. I think there's only a handful that I think do it really well. And yours is one of them. You know, one of the things we added at the end, uh, you know, uh, when Peter was doing work, is is um, for espionage, I wanted to make it feel immersive. Even though it's not even really part of the game, but when you complete, like... You destroy missile bases or you incite a rebellion. There's like an animated image of something exploding or people rioting or whatever. And um, I told Peter, because Peter used, actually used to be an architect, the artist. He used to be an architect. And I wanted him to create uh, for each of the 10 races an architectural style. So each race has its own architectural style. And when you blow up factories for that race you get to see what their cities look like as you're blowing them up which is to me is really cool right like oh this is what the Clacon city looks like it looks totally different than the Elkari city right that's great and it makes a lot of sense too it, it adds a little flavor it, it does, and it doesn't take much to add just a little bit of flavor you know to flesh something out but yeah uh, I, those are expensive animations man <laughs> It took something. <laughs> no, I, I've I haven't done much sabotage in my games. I I I usually I always try to be the nice guy. So I tr I 
what it, most of the spy craft I do is just find find other spies, find the <laughs> two counter spy uh, stuff. Don't don't sabotage uh, these guys because I want everyone to like me, uh, which doesn't always work. <laughs> so I really haven't done much sabotage. Uh, I always think of I always think of how Kim Cattrall said it in Star Trek Six. Whenever I think of that word, sabotage. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to compliment you and your game on uh, some good spycraft because again, that is not not a thing. <laughs> As not you know, one of the things I had to outsource um, that you haven't mentioned yet, but it was actually pretty expensive and time consuming was all the translation work. You know, I had, I had these really high goals of having a lot of translations for the game. And then my, uh, the writer ended up creating so much text for the game that, you know, it was actually a real effort to get these translations up. But currently there are like, uh, uh, 19 translations in the game. Actually it's 18, but I haven't released the next version, which is going to have French in it. So, Oh yeah. Um, on the, a few more work. Yeah, on the it on the itch.io page, it lists all the languages, which is really impressive. A lot of games don't do all these different languages. You've got Bulgarian and Polish and Serbian. <laughs> two different forms of Serbian. <laughs> and uh well Serbian they use uh there's two versions. They have like Latin characters and Cyrillic characters. So he did the translation of both characters. So both sets. So this game is not just a labor of love from you, but all these people that have helped you, like help you translate, help you do art, help you do uh, the AI. It's I guess that's yeah, they're all paid. they were still all paid. I mean, well, of course, but still, they wouldn't have they wouldn't have wasted their time if it was something they didn't believe in. You know, uh, I think so. I think a lot of people were really like definitely wanting to make. Um, this game in their native language. So, yeah. And I, I gotta say where I, where I've seen uh reception on the internet and in, in forums and on, on at least our discord and whatnot, the reception has been really positive. How have you been finding a uh, reception of the game now that it's hit 1.0? I, I think it's uh, been received actually extremely well, pretty much everywhere. In fact, that pretty much to the point where I've pretty much stopped doubting the game. You know, at some point when enough people tell you this is great, when you get enough private emails from people who don't, you don't know and they don't know you and they just send you an unsolicited email saying like, I don't know, I'm a move one player and oh my God, this game is so, I mean, I'm not exaggerating. It's, I get like a a lot of emails like that. The only negative uh, um, uh, feedback I ever got was from some guy on 4chan. So, any kind of subreddit for a while. Well, that's 4chan. I mean, that's to be expected from 4chan, but the, the well, it was just one guy 4chan. Most of 4chan was actually really cool. It was just oh, one really? guy. Yeah. The, th- the thing is, most people will not go out of their way to write something nice. So the fact that they've done that is amazing, dude. I mean, most people will go out of their way, way to complain about things, but when they're happy with a thing, you usually get like content, contented silence. Even <laughs> when they're usually happy with a thing. So the, f- I just think, I honestly think there's just a lot of people who are move one players like me who have just been waiting for this game forever. And I think if somebody else had made this game and I found it, I think I would be emailing them 
thinking for making this game because you know I, I I don't think I'm alone in that regard. No, you're not. Uh, as we as we talked about before, Moo One sadly is very underappreciated compared to its uh, successor, and um, and you have made an exceptional uh, master of. Uh, would you call it? I I don't know. Clone doesn't seem the right word. Homage? Would that be a better word? I just call it a modernization. Just yeah, okay. That. That's a good way. That's a that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Because, oh, uh, yeah, because basically you did take the core tenets of the original Amazing Game, and and you fixed. I think that's another reason it worked. You didn't fixed. You didn't fix what wasn't broken. Like, like when people go back and try and remake a thing, that is one of the biggest things you run into. Is like this worked. You didn't need to fix this. Yeah, it's um, very tempting to do that. Right. I'm sure it's tempting. Like, oh, I can do this better than, oh, God, who's the name of the guy who did Master of Orion 1? Steve Barcia? Barcia. Steve Barcia. Yeah. Like, like I'm like, you can, you think you can do better than Steve Barcia? Do you know who Steve? Do you, do you? <laughs> so, like, well, yeah. you know, um, I mean, Steve Barcia, uh, he obviously made a great game, but part of me suspects he kind of caught lightning in a bottle. Right, because um, Moo One worked great. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But there were changes made in Moo Two that that didn't need to be made. That indicates to me that maybe he didn't understand, or somebody didn't understand why Moo One worked so great. And so they broke some things in Moo Two. So part of me suspects that they were very talented and they had a great idea, and they did a lot of play testing. Right, I think it was Alan Emmerich and Tom Hughes. And so they ended up with this great game, but maybe they didn't really fully comprehend why the formula worked. I mean, these guys are all probably working under deadlines and stuff too, right? Yeah. Because they made Moo 2, and Moo 2, although it's a great game, it definitely has some flaws that Moo 1 doesn't have. Yeah, I kind of wonder what happened there. Like, like Moo 1 was so success- so successful. You make Moo- I mean, you don't want to make the same exact thing over again, but at the same time, you, you don't want to broke you don't want to break what wasn't broken but mu 2 was so different and it makes you wonder what went on there like oh we have to like who told them they had to add all these things who told them that like like i i just wonder how that happened the best theory i've heard is that mu 2 was almost like the sequel to master of master of magic it has the same economy as master of magic now i've never played master of magic so i have to take them at their word Mm. And Master of Magic was a very popular game, so maybe they figured that was a good uh, mashup between the two genres. I I think honestly, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say, I think Master of Magic is a better game than Master of Orion Two. Uh, I th- I think because and I would agree with that. By the way, yeah, I would agree. With that. I think because with Master of Magic, like they allowed things to get imbalanced, like. So many, so many game developers seem to care so much about balance, you know, which is, is fair, but with master of magic, things can get way crazy in terms of balance. And I think that's one of the great things about that game. Um, and I think maybe they tried to rein things in a little bit when they did master of Orion, master of Orion two, um, because it, it feels like less of a game than, Master of Magic did was, which is interesting. 
so balance is very very necessary for multiplayer games and um I, I i'm old enough to remember in the 90s that uh, um one of the big pushes for multiplayer and turn-based strategy games which really are not a good fit for multiplayer one of the main pushes is because the ais were so bad so playing against a human was seen as a solution to fixing the ai we don't have to work on the ai we just have to uh, make it multiplayer but then when uh, you make it multiplayer you have to make it balanced yeah you're not wrong i i i've gone on record as saying i think solely multiplayer games are lazy I, th- I think it's lazy design because I think making a good AI is makes for a much better game with longer legs than making something like I've seen so many solely multiplayer games fail, you know, space games and the like, but games with a good AI, they're the ones that you play and they're still playing in 10 years, in 20 years, you know, because they're not dependent on a player base. Yeah, exactly. Other than you. So if you can't, play with a bunch of other people if you do, if you need six players for a game and you only have you that game is unplayable yeah at least not viable and i see all these games coming out oh 12 versus 12 multiplayer are you gonna get 12 people are you gonna get 24 people to play your to play your thing <laughs> and they don't and it fails and it just it, or, it bu- or 30 30 Oh, you know, God. A, some games you have a 30 on 30. And if you don't have that, I mean, yeah, you might have, uh, you know, 10 people on each side and then bots. Fine. That can work. But it's not going to be the same. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like, I, I, this is why I prefer single player games over multiplayer games. I mean, a good multiplayer game with good, with people, you know, is great, but it's, it, it's why I play co-op almost exclusively. Yeah. If I play anything multiplayer, it's co-op. Exactly. Exactly. And, and it, I do appreciate when a game has good multiplayer and single player, which is rare, Yeah, which yeah. is really rare. Like Titanfall two, I think is, would be one of the rare examples um, but anyway, but anyway, the fact that you have a game with such a good UI and AI, uh, Ray, I think speaks not only to the, the, the greatness of this design, but, but I think modernizing it really showed that one, it, it can be modernized and it could thrive in a modern environment, uh, like you don't need multiplayer, you don't need fancy graphics, you just need good gameplay. And I think your game is an excellent example of that. Yeah, I agree. I didn't want to. I know um, there's a push by some people on the subreddit to uh, uh, create a multiplayer version. Oh God, please don't. That's on them. I'm, I'm, that's why it's open source. It's open source. Go to town. Have fun. <laughs> right. And like ROTP, like version 1.0, the Moo One modernization. It's done. It's complete. You know, stop asking for features. <laughs> <laughs> stop asking but, for features. But you did right? hint. You did hint on a sequel. You did hint hint yeah, upon a sequel. You know, there's still some translations in work, and of course, when there's like minor bug. I mean, there are no. I'm not. It's not a, cons, a false conceit to say there really aren't any major bugs in the game. But you know, when someone comes across a minor bug, you know, we'll fix that too. But uh, um, otherwise, the game's pretty much done. But yeah, you you have hinted at a. Uh, sequel, Remnants uh, 2. Yes, yes. So, uh, um, 
there will be a sequel. And uh, the plan for the sequel has changed constantly, depending mm. on my mood and whatever. Um, as far as, like, am I going to do a bunch of small pieces or am I going to do one big piece or whatever? But uh, we're going to have new races, obviously. Uh, in fact, Peter is working on a race right now. Um, there's going to be more planet. There's going to be more variety in the planets. Um, more. There's going to be forms of planet specialization. It's not going to really feel like Mu One. I mean, it's you're going to recognize it, and the UI is going to look the same, and you're going to do the same things, but it's going to play differently. Um, I'm not really. Uh, interested in making a Moo 1.1, you know. So I'm going to actually try to like fix some things that are that I still feel are structural design problems in the game, uh, with the idea that like you know I could be wrong. <laughs> I could be wrong. I might make it worse, but the original game will always be there. Um, and I, I've got a Patreon. I'm not. I should say this is kind of a plug. I do have a Patreon set up to where. Uh, people, if they want how, to see pre- how dare you come on my podcast and promote yourself? That's I'm not what sorry. this is about. That's not what this is about at all. <laughs> come on, <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> I, I would like to explain, right? The original game was always planned for, to be free, and uh, it turned out to be you know a lot more expensive than I expected because the artwork was so good. So I'm like, well, we have to do a lot of artwork. And then the writing was so good, and then Jeff did a lot of really great writing. And I've got a lot of compliments on the writing. And then when you increase the amount of writing, that increases the cost of translations because translations are kind of done on a per-word basis. So the game has actually been like really... I'm going to say it's been five times more expensive than I expected. So still better than a government project, but still pretty expensive. <laughs> um so what I've done now is um, if you can download the game for free on itch and there's a little button if you want to donate you can donate but it's completely optional you know you don't there's no adware or anything in the game there's no you know free to play type stuff you see and then I've got a patreon set up and it's five dollars a month and you'll see, you'll get previews and progress on the development of the new version you're going to get to see screenshots you're going to get to see design changes you'll even get to provide input if you want on it you know i mean i'm um and so if you like the game if you like the project and you feel like supporting it uh that every little bit helps right because i still got to pay for artwork i still got to you know all that stuff still costs money and uh, um i kind of lost my shirt making the first first uh, version well you just you just got a new pa- you just got a new patron you just got a new patron so uh, happy no. to help. <laughs> of course. So I appreciate that. I wasn't asking you. No, but... I know you weren't, but I, you're not one, your Patreon is not asking for much. And, and two, I, I feel like I should really, since I'm employed, I should support the developers. I really care about by buying their games. And since there was no game to buy, you know, uh, I mean, there was no buy, you weren't selling it. Uh, I feel the least I could do <laughs> is support you on Patreon. Um, but yeah, have you found that even though you offer the game for free, because Itch has a thing where you can name a price, are people using yeah, I that? Price. I named ten dollars as the price, and um, I, so most people spend ten dollars that that buy it. I mean, I'm only a small percent of people that download it buy it, which is fine. It's a free game. Uh, some people, I've gotten a hundred dollars from some people. Wow! And 
some people would just give a dollar, <laughs> which is fine because it, otherwise it's free. I'm not I'm not complaining. So there's a wide variety, wide range. Only a couple people have given a hundred dollars, and most people, it's you know I see twenty every once in a while, but it's usually like ten or maybe five or fifteen. It's still nice that people are doing that. You know they they don't have oh, to. Yeah. So yeah. the the fact that they are is really great. Um, do you think you? I mean, since this game costs so much, do you have like a better idea of how much a sequel will cost? Will you, do you think you might charge a little bit for that one? Um, well, you know, so much of the cost of the game, I mean, I'm going to reuse all the art for the original game and plus new art. So it's going to be less. Mm, I mean, I don't have to redraw all the tech. I don't have to have all the tech images redrawn. I'm not going to make 10 more races. It'll be less, but it'll still be kind of pricey. And I think uh, a big part of the cost was translations. And so I don't think there's going to be, there's going to be some additional translation work because new text, new text is added, but I don't think it's going to be nearly as much as it was before. I figure it's probably going to cost me about 1500 to $2,000 a month to make this game. Holy moly. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, that's not an insignificant amount of money. Well, game development yeah. isn't cheap. My gosh. It's yeah. not. I mean, yeah, you can't like, uh, you can't get, if you look at the artwork and, and remnants of precursors, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's really good artwork. It is. And, uh, yeah. It is. Good artwork. That doesn't come cheap. You're right. It doesn't come cheap. So, but it's, I probably spent um, probably over a hundred thousand dollars to make the game. Holy moly. I spent over $100,000 to make the game. So you think about that. And so you can see why I have a Patreon set up to for release too. And and that's... Friends, friends listening, anyone who had the sound of my voice, if, if you know anyone or see anyone who starts getting entitled and starts yelling at game developers, tell them that story and try and make them shut the hell up. <laughs> because... The, the amount of blood, sweat, and tears, and money that goes into all this is, is just insane. And and I think people need to get a better... I think a lot of gamers need a better perspective on just how much goes into making one game. You know? Especially if they don't know how the sausage is made, because if you haven't been dev side at all, you don't know. Yeah, and by the same token, though, you know, uh, being on the inside, so to speak, by making a game and having to pay for all this stuff and the time and effort and the rewrites and all this other stuff and the cost, when I see somebody starting a Kickstarter and they say, I'm going to make this game and I need $5,000 or $10,000, I'm like, either you don't know what you're talking about or you're lying. (laughs) There's no way. And either way, I'm not going to support you, right? So, like, uh, when Lord of Rigel did their Kickstarter, oh. I don't know if you Lord of Rigel. Yeah, they did I, I do. Yeah. And it was for $90,000. And I, I was like, I, well, of course you did, because it's $90,000. But I was, like, looking at that and going, you know, that's an honest Kickstarter. They actually yeah. thought you could go on Kickstarter and not lie and say, this is how much it's going to cost. And then... A $90,000 Kickstarter for an indie game will never pass unless you are a well-known person. So that's how come all these Kickstarters go for less money because they want to get something and then they run out of money and then it fails because they didn't ask for enough money. I have seen some, it doesn't happen often, where I have seen some where they're not asking for a lot, but then they say, we've already put 
such and such into this. We just need a little bit to get over the finish line. That to me seems like a fair assessment. Like we've put in 70%. We just need the last 30. We just need help with the last 30 because we're, we don't want to mortgage our house, you know, or something like that. That to me makes sense. You know, yeah, it's a thing where they've they've got most of the the engine in and the uh, the writings all in. It's just they want money for art assets, art or sound or voice acting yeah, or something. Exactly. You know, yeah, yeah, and then put you know more voice acting and stretch goals that sort of thing. Yeah, I can totally see that, and that seems much more fair than. But than it seems possible, that's for sure. Right, but exactly. It's it's more feasible. It's it's much more feasible. Those are the kind of Kickstarters I back to when when I back when they say, "Oh, we've we've already put in this much of our own money. We just need a little more uh to get past the finish line." That makes a lot more sense, you know, than, "Oh, we're making this whole new game. We need $10,000." Oh, you need a lot more than that. Where are you getting that number from? Sir slash madam slash they slash them. Where are you getting that number from? <laughs> Yeah, and then you have like that project. Was it more? <laughs> oh God! Oh my God! Oh God! They were like basically fund our studio, but we've never run a studio before. I'm guessing we've never run a studio, so they ran out all their money. And at the end, after I don't know, getting hundreds of thousands of dollars in Kickstarter money because they were one of the earliest mm-hmm. in the yep. SpaceWorks game Kickstarter, so there was a mm-hmm. lot of trust that was misplaced in them. At the end, they said. We can get it done. We just need like a million more dollars. Uh, God, I remember that. Uh, a Kickstarter has been such a blessing and a curse <laughs> for for gaming. So many great games have come out of it, but like I still lament the crash and burn of of Limit Theory. That was that looked to be such a great game. I don't know if you're aware of it, but it was a, this big space adventure game uh, thing. Like procedural universe looked amazing. Even Chris Roberts backed it for Christ's sake. And um he made a good chunk of money on the on the Kickstarter. And it went it chugged along for a little while, but then like the pressure got to him and he just fell under this brushing wall of depression and had to stop. And it it's just so so depressing. <laughs> That's another thing, too, that a lot of people overlook is um, when you take money to develop a game from people, you've created like an obligation. Yeah. And um, if you didn't if you didn't estimate properly, <laughs> if you didn't really have a good scope on handle on your project and you start falling behind, those people will turn on you and make your life a hell. And because you took their fifteen dollars or whatever it is. So. That was one thing also I really wanted to avoid. I would just rather have gone to this project just free and clear of, uh, um, you know, that sort of obligation and just try to make my money back at some point later. But uh, um, you see that happen a lot. I think, was it like John Schaefer without the gates? Oh, you know, God. Yeah, that, I think I, I don't no, even know John, what happened with that. If I get this wrong, but I felt like it seemed like he fell into like some sort of like depression or whatever and he didn't do any work for a long time and I just felt really terrible for the guy. I think but he had health I think he had health problems too. I think he had he some kind of health problems by people. Oh, and I know. Mom, how much is that worth? I don't know. I wouldn't want that on anybody. And John Schaefer, I've talked to him on forums. He is such a nice guy. 
he did not deserve the flack he got. Like he had, he had money problems. He had health problems. And it's really a shame because at the gates looked like it could have been a great game. It really looked like it could have been great, but it was never finished. It was never finished. I don't think it'll ever be finished at this point. Um, because I, mean, I on the flip side, there are some where they get a Kickstarter and then the development is really long, but because they're just very slow and steady at the same time, the community still supports them and they don't lose their, their community yeah, at all. It, it really depends a lot on, on setting expectations, good communication. Like look at, um, look at the star sector guy. He's never done Kickstarter, but look at the star sector guy. He started charging 15 bucks for his game back in 2011. It's still in early access, but he's very communicative with his community. Does a lot of tweets and dev blogs, you know, his, his releases are slow, but they're big when they happen. So you, you feel like a lot of work's been done and he's got a great community. Um, do you think Ray, do you, do you think you had a more positive community experience because you didn't charge for your game? Oh, absolutely. I, without a doubt. Um, uh, people love getting stuff for free, especially if it's quality. <laughs> and that wasn't the plan. I'm just making this game and people kind of glommed onto it, especially starting with Move One fans. But without a doubt, I've, it's just been overwhelmingly positive. There's been a few people, but, you know, like you said, there's always that certain segment of the gaming community that's very self entitled. But it's, I think it's a pretty small part. But yeah. at some point, what, what, what can they do? I could say, okay, well, don't buy my game then. Right. <laughs> don't buy. My, so they don't even have that leverage over you. They don't. They they can't bomb. They can't, you know, bomb review me on Steam. They can't <laughs> refuse to buy my game, you know. And yeah. uh, so they don't really have a lot of leverage over me. Spaz, so, Spaz, Spaz, you were going to say something. I think. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I was I going to say that that uh, if you look at just going back to the earlier point, if you look at say. Um, Leafy Games with Pulsar, Lost mm, Colony. Yes, very long development. Good example. But they they were they were putting out update after update after update over over years, and they didn't lose their community because they were making such progress. Uh, another example would be the uh, the Tracy Brothers with all the stuff yeah. that they do with their games. How frequently they get updates and how detailed their blogs are, their their uh, dev blogs are. And the communication they put out, so yeah. you can back them with with faith that they will get the job done. Yeah, because well, they're consistent about it. Another good example is uh, the Deep Rock Galactic folks. Like oh, their uh, game was in early access for quite some time, but they they're probably one of the best examples of early access working. Um, beyond the the Trees Brothers that I can think of, um, especially with a paid product. Yeah, yeah. And considering we got in there in, in the closed beta test before it went live for everybody else, and how many times have we streamed it? <laughs> oh, half a dozen at this point? We love that game. Yeah, yeah. Love that game. <sighs> yeah, this is like a little side note, but I just I thought about it when brought up At The Gates. You know, one thing I always thought would be really cool, because the game I liked before we won was Civ 1. Yes. And I always thought it would be cool to have a game... That you started in Civ One and it, and it, uh, um, you know, 
segued into Mu One, you know, because you know, remember at the end of Civ One, you could launch a spaceship to Alpha right. Centauri, right? Right. So I always thought that would be you. You develop space travel technology at the end of Civ One. I always thought that would be cool to go from Civ One to Mu One, and so I keep toying with this idea of figuring out how to do like a a Civ One like front end on ROTP, like a uh, you know, like have a Stone Age start where you actually start at the Stone Age. And you know, play play a Civ game, you know. And then when you're done, then okay, now look, you get the intro and you go into space now. There are are a couple of games that did that with varying degrees of success. Uh, One was Predestination, which is when you start with one planet and then you build, build, build. You research, research, and eventually you get space travel, and then it turns into more of a a space 4x. Uh, That was a good one. Uh, a not so good one was Pax Novan. I I never like shit talking a game. Excuse my language, but that game had the like kind of kind of like Civ style game on the planet. Then you research space travel, and all of a sudden you're kind of in a Moo game, but you still have the Civ ta- Civ style planetary management. Um, but it wasn't very good. You, have, you compete with other empires on in the Civ style. Uh, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Okay. Yeah. It, but it just wasn't, it just wasn't very engaging. It just, it well, just, I, I actually fired up Civ one the other day and I tell you what, that's not that easy to do. And just started playing <laughs> it. Just, to, I wanted to see if I still liked it. I haven't played it like literally in decades and it, it was very primitive, but I was like, I was I was I started immediately getting sucked into it again. I'm like, this game still kind of has it, yeah. You know, and I'm like, I gotta f- figure out how to recapture some of this too. That would be awesome. That would be an awesome design. Is like start from, like start from the Stone Age and then move up to. Oh God! And then you move up to like Master of Orion, where you're in space, and then a new colony would be like Alpha Centauri. Oh my God! You know, and even, <laughs> even like your military units. And stuff could be different based upon the which of the ten races you selected. Oh right? man, oh, this sounds like a great game. <laughs> you know, like Civ Two had different units per race. I'm sorry, Spaz, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say there is one game that is uh, currently in development. It's in early access right now. The Universe Sim, and it is, although it's not in the same genre uh, specifically because it's real time. It is in that vein where you're building up a civilization on a planet and then they eventually go out to uh, colonize space. Hmm. Yeah, one indication of the success of this project, and I hate to toot my own horn again, but is one thing I get asked not infrequently is like, are you going to do Mu 2 next? Are you going to do Alpha Centauri next? Are you going to do uh, um, Master of Magic next? Like, I'm some sort of machine that just creates modernization <laughs> of 90 strategy games. But, you know, I was thinking maybe I'll do Civ 1 next. I don't know. You know, why not? I mean, everyone, ca- like, I don't even know what the hell Civ 6 is anymore. Like, what what is that even? So it's like, maybe it couldn't hurt to show folks, hey, this is kind of where this started. <laughs> you know? Uh I mean that couldn't hurt. Civ One is still a great game. I I I loaded it up a little while ago and had a great time fiddling with it. Uh, there is something to set be said for simplicity, 
and and there's something to be said for elegance. Your game is is an exa- is a perfect example of this, and I I think much could be said for being inspired by the earlier designs like Civ One, whatnot. Um, it wouldn't be fair to call it cribbing from the classics, but it is no, it is uh, very much benefiting from that experience. You know, if something works, use it. Um, yeah, I feel you know, like modern games. Of, I'm sorry. I just real quick. Uh, something in the style of, say, uh, Civ 1, but with Master of Magic style fantasy races might be interesting. Mm. You know, this, uh, taking, taking that idea and then uh, putting another spin on it is what I'm thinking. Hmm. Well, yeah, I think I would have that, but I would have the the Mu One races instead of the Fantasy races, so there would oh, still yeah. be that. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. But uh, um, yeah, I just think it would be kind of uh, uh, I, it has to be something that I want to do because you know so much of this is in my free time, and if if I'm not if I'm doing it just for money, like if this is just a business proposition, I'm not saying I can't not do it for money because he's expensive. But if, if my primary goal is just to do it for money, then it's, it's no longer fun for me to do. And it's hard for me to get motivated, you know? So I have to be motivated to do it as well. No, that makes total totally sense. Fair. I was going to say, I'm going to, ra- we're going to start wrapping up, but if you have free time, you should check out master of magic. It is an excellent game with another excellent strategy guide as well, by the way, one of the, one of the greats, um, but yeah, you can get Master of Magic, I think, on GOG and Steam these days. And I would highly recommend it if you like Civilization especially. It is because a lot of people call it Civ Civ 1 with orcs or whatever. Uh, but it really is an excellent game on its own. And and you clearly like 4X games, so I definitely think it's one you should play. But uh, Friends, friends, listening. We should probably, unless anything has anything to add. Does anyone have anything else they want to add, or is, is it a good time to wrap? Well, you're already at an hour seventeen, so I'll save it for next time. No, 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 no. Go ahead. It's fine. Go ahead. What do you okay. got? Okay. Well, first off, uh, I wanted to congratulate Lay Ray on uh, working with the owner of the IP because usually we are in the age, and you know. I've been doing, I don't know how long uh, Brian's been doing it. I've been doing it for about 13 years. And uh, things like, for example, we quit including music in any of our shows. We used to do that. And uh, we've reached the age where there are so many different takedowns that if you have three notes of somebody else's music, they launch a takedown attack at you. So congratulations on having a great working relationship with the owner of the IP. Uh, the other thing is, and I've Kotaku has talked a lot about this lately, and I won't get into it other than just say the game is developed by Game Freak. And uh, Kotaku has talked about how and the way I usually put it on the other show is, what's that smell? Spoiled gamers. And you talked a little bit about how uh, people really don't appreciate what it takes to... Uh, I uh, What it takes to develop a game. And there's two 
two thoughts to that. Some people will say in their attacks on other players that, well, one person even said to me, unless you've developed a game, shut up. And I said, well, one of my friends is an executive producer. Would you like me to get him on the line here for you? And so you see people screaming about the artwork in this game and not your game, the one I'm thinking of. And yet I tell people, I said, you know, I've been playing games back when people saw the first game that wasn't text-based and it was like, ooh, it's a dot going across the screen. I said, what's that smell, spoiled gamers? And I said, look at the artwork in this game, and it's really beautiful. And I said, have you, and I'm wondering if you've had a hard time dealing with anybody with that kind of thing. And my last comment, I guess, is, now, from someone, I understand Brian and Spaz are like 4X aficionados, and my own space game, uh, my own space game experience is usually, okay, strap me in the cockpit, hand me the flight stick, and I'll pretend I was back when I was in the military. And um, usually my experience is limited to things like Warhammer, Mechanicus, Civilization, Endless Space 2, uh, but professionally, I'm a project manager, and usually people all day long say, okay, you got to be an architect today. Oh, you got to be a, a lawyer today, and they'll hand me like this 600-page tome. And when I log on to a game and I look at, no matter how beautifully it's crafted, uh I look at the instruction manual or I log on and I see like this wall of text. How do you deal with people like me who just say, I just want to get into 4X? But, you know, that's so I guess those are my two questions. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for that. Um, I think with regards to people, um, you know, telling me, or having to tell people like if you don't have if you've never developed a game shut up I mean I I don't ever take that attitude towards anybody because um, I often say like I'm not a game developer I mean I was a software developer but I'm not really a game developer uh, even though people say you made a game you're a game developer I see myself as a fellow gamer who can code and I just decided to make a game I wanted and I I didn't approach it like developers do. I just kind of figured it out on my own. Um, and the second question, what was it? Can you repeat that last part again? The, the last well, thing? there's, there's two things. The, the first question I had is people who, you know, they forget where all this came from and game freak has come out with their latest project and people have bitched back and forth about the artwork. And I said, the artwork is just beautiful. And I said, so what is your problem? Play the game. Just enjoy life. No, we want to bitch and complain to the point where one admin said, look, uh, if you want to start bitching at the game developers, I'm going to start banning people because I've had enough of it. And have you had to deal with people like that, even though the artwork in your game is beautiful, someone might forget where we all came from. You know, not too much. 
not too much. I think, um, like I said, um, the fact that the game is free, and um, I think a lot of people that are entitled or that complain usually are exercising some form of leverage, like maybe like, you know, I'm going to give you a bad review or I'm not going to buy your game unless you put this feature in here. And because it's a free game and I haven't taken any money, that leverage doesn't exist. And so I really haven't had to deal with that too much. There are people who like to troll occasionally and get a rise out of you. And, you know, that's that's just I don't think that's a gamer thing. I think that's just an Internet thing. Um, and the last thing you asked about the wall of text, you know, you just want to play the game. Unfortunately, the Forex genre doesn't really work like that. Forex games, uh, by their very nature, are empire building games. And they're complicated because it's you're competing against other empires. So there's a if it's not if there's not detailed then it's not interesting, and so it's kind of complicated and it's really hard uh, to just fire up a forex game and just be walked through it because um, there's so much to learn. But you know if if a game can kind of onboard you a little bit with like little features at a time that might work. But at some point you just kind of have to acknowledge you're going to have to get immersed in the game and hopefully if it's a good game if it's well designed then you just kind of get sucked in and it it becomes you know that one more turn kind of feel but i don't think it's easy to really make a 4x game that is like super approachable to a casual player without like actually breaking the formula of 4x does that make sense oh sure because you know whenever you have a game and if it kind of breaks from the game mechanics that I have come beforehand. Uh, you have a lot of players who are old-time players of any particular genre who said, I don't like this, and they try and launch uh, some kind of uh, strike against the game developers, and they said, well, you know, I've been waiting a long time to play this, so you let me know how that works out for you. And uh, yet, on the other hand, um, there are a lot of people like me who really want to get into this, and so my first my first entry into strategy games was Endless Space 2. And uh, in, in some cases, if, you know, I know somebody who is the developer and they'll say, hey, here's a free game. I worked on this. So uh, I wonder then how concerned are you with getting other people involved in this that aren't real for ex aficionados or is it just, hey, we all been waiting for this for a long time and uh, this is my uh, love child to forex uh, gamers. Well, that's the thing, right? It's like the it's the gift of forex gamers, and if you're if you're not a forex gamer, you know it's it's probably not going to mean much to you, right? And which is fine. I mean, not no game can please everybody, but uh, um, you know what I tell people if they're you know the easiest way to learn a forex games if you can is to play with no opponents, just. Play with no opponents. Learn how to build your cities. Learn how to move your units. Move, expand. Learn how the tech tree works. Get a feel for everything where there's no pressure of the AI coming to beat you and creating, you know, creating a time pressure on you. And then once you kind of get comfortable with the the UI and the mechanics and stuff, then at that point, you know, play the AI like on the easier levels first, so that you know you can 
So that's how I would recommend do players do it. And I don't know if every game you can turn off the opponents or not. A lot you can't. That's why I brought this up earlier. A lot you can't. Um, no, well, you, you you absolutely can't in Endless Space 2. You can't in X4 Foundations. But my suggestion is if you have someone you know who is as patient as Brian is and who will say, look, noob, log on and I'll guide you through the game. And then when we're done, do exactly what you just said. Turn off all the other opponents and give it a try. So that's what I've been doing. Yeah, and also keep in mind that I I paid good money for Tom Chick to write a manual to the game. And a lot of people have said that, like, you know, I was getting into the game. It was a little complicated. But then when I read the manual, a lot of it made sense. So don't be afraid to read the manual as well. It's a great manual. I will say this again. It is a fantastic, fantastic manual that is definitely worth downloading the PDF to your phone and reading on your Kindle app. You know, it's just a great, great manual. No question. The acronym RTFM applies here. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Uh, Julie, did, 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 Julie, were your questions all uh, answered? Well, just one other thing. When when uh, I deal with a guest on a show, um, I always like to go out and try and find a little bit about the person and about their background and and. Wow, Ray's a hard person to find out about if you don't already know about him. Well, there's a lot of Ray Fowlers on the internet. It's oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Like, there's one guy who's like a UFO guy, and there's another guy who's like a Christian preacher, and there's another guy who's like a neurosurgeon or something. Do you get emails for other Ray Fowlers? Because I get emails for other Brian Rubens. No, um, but also, <laughs> I'm also like, I've always been a privacy advocate, so I try not to like... Uh, I don't like have a big social media presence outside of my subreddit generally. Mm. So I try, outside of the game, in fact, even like on Reddit, like when I, I have a different Reddit user ID for each subreddit I participate in. Oh, wow. Because I don't, I don't like my comment history being shared. I don't like people. I don't like the idea that somebody might disagree with me on some, some Reddit, like some opinion I had. And then they go look at my comment history and then they start trolling, you know, the ROTP subreddit or something like that. Wow. Well, you know, I understand that because we've had Richard Bartle on our show a couple times. And when he was asked once about if he could do anything, what would he do? He said, get rid of World of Warcraft. And at the time, WoW had more players than Switzerland had people. And he caught hell about that for years. Hmm. Um, yeah, some people are just like that, right? You get on their bad side, and then they just spend their time trying to troll you. What, what do you these people have like? Um, um, I don't know. They they need a life. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it, right? If, if, you go out and find troll strangers on the internet. If if I had a clip of William Shatner saying "Get a life" from that great SNL sketch, I would play it right now, but I do not. Uh, I mean, maybe, yeah, I, I go and I go along the lines of. You should probably go out and find a friend. <laughs> I I always I always quote Mystery Science Theater. You should think to yourself, it's just a show slash game slash whatever. I should really just relax. Relax. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's it applies in just about everything. Um, but uh, that seems like a good place to wrap up. Unless anyone else has anything they want to jump in with. Yeah, me. Oh, okay. <laughs> 
Have, um, we have it, Thorsten. We haven't forgotten you. No, no, I don't exist anymore. Uh, Stop it. Okay, <laughs> okay Ray. Uh, I have only the highest. I can only uh, give you the highest praise for for this for your game. It's uh, in the preparation of of today. Uh, I played it last night. I want to just got a, another look at it. Want to play it for half an hour and uh, ended up uh, three hours later. And uh, <laughs> I think I think you reached the one more turn effect pretty good, in my opinion. <laughs> I I really like it. I really high, like it. High praise. It's always, I'm sure that's great to hear. It's like, oh, I just wanted to play like for half an hour, three hours later. What? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what I what I particularly found uh, good was uh, was the fact that uh, as an MO as an MO one uh, veteran, I've, I really uh, didn't need the manual at all. Uh, I I could start right up from from scratch. And I could understand the game. And uh, as you mentioned before, the uh, AI simply great. Uh, it smashes me every time, every <laughs> single time, and I love it. I really love it. So I hope this is not a, 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 a politically incorrect presumption, but I, is English not your first language? No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. So, so is, does does the translation exist for your native language? Have you tried that out? Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> Did you play it in German? Did you play? No, it in I, I no, no. I played it. I played it in, in the English version. Okay. Well, if you ever play it in German and you see any like um, translation issues or whatever, don't hesitate to let me know, and I can pass it on to the translator. I always love for people to play the foreign language translations because I don't. I get very little input on that. Okay, we'll do. Yeah, the game. The game is definitely available in German, uh, Thorsten. So yeah, it'd be great to. Uh, to try that, yeah, I've seen it, but I, but I wanted to play it in in the English version because, uh, you know, uh, you, you never know what what what's come what what came up in in uh, in the translation. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. Which is why, at the same time, why it's awesome for me when people do play it in translations, and so they can say, "Oh, look, I played it in English," but then later on, I tried it in German, and this doesn't look right or whatever, and then I can, you know, we can address those issues. No, we'll we'll look out for that. Okay, great. I went, I didn't mean to give you a job. Sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, friends, the game is Remnants of the Precursors. You can find it. Uh, name your own price on itch.io. Uh, you can get it for free if you want, but you can also send a couple of bucks Ray's way. Uh, there's also a link for the Patreon there. And also the uh, subreddit that Ray has brought up. They're all linked on the itch.io page, which is also linked on the YouTube uh, video here. And will also be linked on the MP3 page on uh, spacegamejunkie.com. But yeah, this game is great. Uh, if you have any interest, if you have any interest in 4X at all, you should definitely play it. If you're new to 4X, this is a great starting point, as we were talking about earlier, because you can play it without the AI and just learn the mechanics without any competition uh, barking back at you. It also has an excellent manual that is definitely worth a read. Um, so Ray, I want to thank you so much for taking time, well, an hour and a half out of your day to talk with us about, uh, Remnants of the Precursor. And I can't wait to have you back on to talk about the sequel. 
Okay, well, I'd like to thank everybody. Everyone was very gracious here. And thanks again, Brian, for the opportunity. I enjoyed the podcast. Absolute pleasure. Friends, next week on the show, we're going to be welcoming back the developer of HunterNet Starfighter, uh, which is uh, one of my most anticipated games. It recently added uh, VR and Toby Eye Tracker support. I bought a Toby Eye Tracker just because of the video that Fernando made about uh, the support for the game. Uh, so that's going to be next week on the show. And tomorrow on the stream, I have no idea because I played the game I had scheduled for tomorrow today. So who knows? Lost Ark, maybe something. I don't know. But I want to thank you all. We had a very active chat. Thank you all for chatting in the chat. Thank you for listening and watching. And we will see you next time. Have a great one, everyone. Be safe. Be well. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.